When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome to History Tea Time. I'm Lindsay Holiday, and I'm spilling the tea on history. Today I have a special treat for all my new podcast listeners, an exclusive early listen to three new episodes, which won't be appearing on YouTube until next month. Visiting the castles and palaces of Britain as a child was what first sparked my lifelong love of history. Stepping into banqueting halls and privy chambers has always made me feel as though I am stepping into the past. Whether you have had the privilege to visit any of these remarkable sites, or you just want to enjoy daydreaming about them, I invite you to come on this journey with me. Royal Castles and Palaces of England Part 2 The Tudors What makes a man a king? Aside from genetic luck and a glittering crown, it's a castle. From the defensive towers erected by William I to secure his conquest of England, to the grand banqueting halls of Henry VIII, the luxurious staterooms of the Stuarts and Georgians, to the lovingly and expensively maintained residences of the modern royal family. Royal castles and palaces have played witness to the lives of kings and queens, and many key moments in history. Their evolution reflects the changing needs and tastes of the monarchy. In this three-part series, we'll explore 15 of the most historically important royal castles and palaces of England. In the last episode, we explored the medieval castles built by William the Conqueror in the 11th century to impose his might upon the land. For his warrior descendants, the Normans and the Plantagenets, having a home that could withstand a trebuchet was paramount. But by the 15th and 16th centuries, war had moved from the castle to the battlefield, and the new Tudor monarchs could prioritize grandiose spaces and luxurious living. It was time to move out of the dank defensive castles and into a new breed of lavish, sprawling palaces. Richmond Palace, royal residence from 1383 to 1649. 
this site on the River Thames, in once rural Surrey, has been connected to the monarchy since 1125, when King Henry I granted it to a loyal knight. The property returned to the crown during the reign of Edward II. His wife, Isabella of France, deposed and murdered him and took the manor for herself. Richard II spent 12 happy years there with his wife, Anne of Bohemia. But when she died of the plague at 28, Richard was so distraught that he never returned. Henry V ordered Sheen Palace to be constructed there, out of wood and stone, but he died before it was completed. His son continued the project during the Wars of the Roses. Edward IV granted the palace to his wife, Elizabeth Woodville. In 1485, Henry VII won the wars and established the Tudor dynasty. He held a grand tournament at Sheen Palace to celebrate. Five years later, during Christmastide, when the Great Hall was decorated with yule logs and evergreen boughs, a fire broke out and engulfed the palace. Henry, his wife Elizabeth of York, and their children barely escaped the blaze alive. The queen was devastated at the loss of her childhood home, so associated with her mother. Henry was more distraught about the valuable tapestries, jewels, and cloth of gold which had been lost. The king rebuilt the palace and named it Richmond after his previous title, Earl of Richmond. The new palace followed the layout of the old, but was in a more modern Renaissance style, consisting of geometric octagonal towers, constructed with brick and white stone. The floor plan included long galleries to display sculpture and paintings, a library and a richly appointed chapel. Ample, paned windows brought in more light than the tiny arrow slits of the old castle. Henry VIII and his first wife, Catherine of Aragon, enjoyed lavish Christmas feasts and pageants in the Grand Banqueting Hall. There, Catherine gave birth to a son, Henry Duke of Cornwall, on New Year's Day, 1511. Per tradition, the king and queen left the baby with his nurses and traveled to Westminster but they received word from Richmond that their son had died at just 52 days old. When Henry VIII acquired Hampton Court Palace, he lost interest in Richmond. He sent his daughter, Princess Mary, to live there after he had turned on her mother. Henry granted Richmond to his fourth wife, Anne of Cleves, as part of her annulment settlement. When his daughter Mary eventually became queen, she spent her honeymoon with Philip II of Spain at the palace. Her sister, Queen Elizabeth I, enjoyed hunting stags in the adjoining royal park. King James I preferred the Palace of Westminster, so he gave Richmond to his son, the future Charles I. Once king, he gave it to his wife, Henrietta Maria, and it became the home of the royal children. King Charles was defeated in the English Civil War and beheaded in 1649. Within months of his execution, Richmond Palace was surveyed by order of Parliament and sold for £13,000. It was demolished and the bricks and stones used for other building projects. 
all that survives of Richmond Palace is the wardrobe, the trumpeter's house, and the gatehouse. Greenwich Palace, the Palace of Placentia, 1500 to 1660. In 1422, warrior king Henry V died of dysentery at the age of 35. He left the throne to his nine-month-old son, Henry VI. As he was too young to rule, his uncle, Humphrey, Duke of Gloucester, was appointed regent. Humphrey began construction of a grand palace for himself, conveniently located in Greenwich on the banks of the River Thames, downstream from London. He called the new home Bella Court. By 1447, King Henry was 25. He butt heads with his regent on political matters and eventually charged him with high treason. Humphrey died in prison, likely of a stroke, though it was whispered that he had been murdered. The king seized Bella Court and gave it to his wife, Margaret of Anjou, who renamed it the Palace of Placentia, as in pleasant, but all I can ever hear is placenta, the organ which supports a baby in the womb. In the early 1500s, Henry VII rebuilt the palace with a design based around three large courtyards. King Henry VIII was born there, as were his daughters, Mary I and Elizabeth I. Both queens lived at Placentia during their reigns. The palace fell into disrepair during the English Civil War and was used as a biscuit factory and a prisoner of war camp. In the 1660s, after Charles II restored the monarchy, he decided to rebuild Placentia and engaged an architect. But construction didn't get very far before Charles died. His brother, James II, was kicked off the throne in favor of his daughter, Mary II, and her husband, William III. They had no interest in Placentia and the building project lost royal funding. The derelict palace was eventually demolished and the site remained empty until Greenwich Hospital was built there in 1694. The site currently houses the University of Greenwich. Hampton Court Palace, 1529-1760 Cardinal Thomas Wolsey was the Lord Chancellor to King Henry VIII. He did the daily work of running the kingdom, while Henry jousted, played the lute, and generally enjoyed himself. Wolsey built Hampton Court Palace for himself to emulate the grand palaces of cardinals in Rome. The splendid brick Renaissance facade contained 44 lodgings for guests and sumptuous state apartments for the lord of the manor. Thomas hoped to communicate King Henry's greatness in that even his servant could live like a king. But the king wondered why his servant's palace was nicer than any of his. Henry gave Wolsey a crucial task, obtain a divorce for him from his queen, Catherine of Aragon, so that he could marry his new love interest, Anne Boleyn. Wolsey tried multiple routes of appealing to the Pope, but he was denied at every turn. Henry was growing impatient, and in order to regain royal favor, Wolsey made a gift of his most valuable possession, the palace the king had so admired. 
But this was not enough to save him. Henry had Wolsey arrested for treason while he was on his way to face trial and probable execution, he fell dead. Henry was a chancellor poorer, but a palace richer. He owned over 60 houses and palaces around the country, but he liked Hampton Court the best. Most of his other digs were not large enough to accommodate the entire court and servants, totaling 1,500 people. So he expanded Hampton Court to fit them all and serve as his primary residence. The kitchens were quadrupled and massive roasting hearths added to prepare great joints of meat for His Majesty's banquets. Henry grew impatient for the completion of his new great hall, so he ordered the masons to work throughout the night by candlelight. Luxurious apartments were built for the king's new wife, Anne Boleyn, but she was beheaded before she got to enjoy them. Henry's third wife, Jane Seymour, gave birth to his long-awaited son, the future King Edward VI at Hampton Court. Jane died of childbed fever two weeks later. While attending Mass in the chapel, Henry was informed of the adultery of his fifth wife, Catherine Howard. He ordered his teenage bride arrested, but she escaped the guards and ran down the gallery, begging Henry for her life. He ignored her. Anne, Jane, and Catherine are all said to haunt the palace still. After Henry's death in 1547, Hampton Court continued to be a primary royal residence. Charles I honeymooned there with Henrietta Maria in 1625. After he was executed, Lord Protector Oliver Cromwell ordered most of the contents of the palace to be sold off, but the building itself was left alone, unlike several other Tudor royal palaces. After the restoration of the monarchy, King Charles II visited a few times, but he had grown up at the Palace of Versailles in France and felt Hampton Court was outdated. When William and Mary came to the throne, they wanted to ditch the old medieval palaces and have a massive new Baroque-style palace built to rival Versailles, but they didn't have enough money. They compromised by ordering Hampton Court Palace to be replaced one section at a time with a modern palace. Half of the Tudor structure was replaced and Henry VIII's private apartments were lost. In the new section, two suites of royal chambers were built, equal in size, to reflect William and Mary's unique status as joint king and queen and the gardens were redesigned and expanded. After Mary died of smallpox at 32, William lost interest and the project was stopped. To this day, Hampton Court remains half early 16th century Tudor Palace, half late 17th century Baroque Palace. King George II once slapped his grandson at Hampton Court, and when the boy ascended the throne as King George III, he made a point of never visiting the scene of his humiliation. 
During the reign of Queen Victoria, the palace was restored and opened to the public as a tourist attraction. Hampton Court Palace is the 15th most visited paid site in England and the second most visited former royal palace after the Tower of London. It received nearly 1 million visitors in 2019. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. I'm Jane Perlez, longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places, Somalia, Indonesia, Pakistan, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I mean, China is not dropping anti-democratic paratroopers into Montana. But of course, we did see things like the weather balloon slash spy balloon riveting the whole country for a week. This is Face Off an eight-part series in which we'll take you behind the scenes to key moments in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. We'll speak with a diplomat, a spy, a tech reporter, a U.S. admiral, even Yo-Yo Ma. Plus, my pal and noted China historian Rana Mitter joins the conversation. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face-Off launches April 9th. The Palace of Whitehall, 1530 to 1698. Since the reign of Canute the Great in 1049, Westminster Palace had been the primary London residence of the king. Many other nobles built stately homes nearby, including the Archbishop of York, who built York Place in 1240. King Henry VIII's right-hand man, Cardinal Wolsey, acquired York Place and built it into a grand home for himself. But after Henry had Wolsey accused of treason, the king took possession of his many properties, including York Place. He renamed the palace Whitehall after the white stone it had been built from. In 1512, a massive fire raged through Westminster Palace, destroying the royal apartments. Henry thus moved into Whitehall, which served as the official London residence of the monarch for the next 168 years. Henry ordered extensive additions, including sporting facilities, a bowling green, indoor tennis courts, a cockfighting pit, and a jousting tilt yard. Henry married twice at Whitehall, to Anne Boleyn in 1533 and Jane Seymour in 1536. The king died there in 1547. In 1611, King James I added a new banqueting house and hosted the first performance of William Shakespeare's The Tempest. Charles I was beheaded in front of Whitehall in 1649. After the restoration, courtiers were allowed to build on to their assigned lodgings in the palace, in whatever style and quality suited them. 
Sir Stephen Fox was granted three rooms, but added an entire mansion with coach house, stables, and a view over the Thames. The palace ballooned into a Frankenstein complex, which more resembled a mismatched town than a singularly designed palace. The complex grew to engulf Scotland Yard, a manor which had once housed the kings of Scotland when they visited London. Whitehall consisted of 1,500 rooms and overtook the Vatican as the largest palace in Europe. Whitehall itself was overtaken by Versailles, which contains 2,400 rooms. Charles II died there in 1685. His brother, James II, added several royal apartments and a Catholic chapel, with a ceiling adorned with gold leaf and an enormous marble altarpiece. The Protestant population was outraged, and James was booted off the throne for his Catholic faith. His daughter Mary and son-in-law William were invited to become co-monarchs, and they avoided the mess of Whitehall in favor of Kensington and Hampton Court. On January 4, 1698, a servant hung wet linens to dry around a coal brazier. The linen caught fire, and the flames quickly spread throughout the palace. King William ordered that the architectural jewel, the banqueting house, be saved, and several other buildings were sacrificed to create a firebreak. Diarist John Evelyn recorded, Whitehall burnt, nothing but walls and ruins left. Many works of art were lost in the fire, including Michelangelo's Cupid and Hans Holbein's portrait of Henry VIII. The banqueting house survives to this day and is open to the public. Other fragments of Whitehall Palace have been incorporated into other buildings in the teeming metropolis of London. The location of the old Scotland Yard became the headquarters of the London Metropolitan Police in 1829. St. James's Palace, 1530-1837 King Henry VIII commissioned this small palace on the site of a former leper hospital dedicated to St. James the Lesser. It was near Whitehall and acted as a retreat when Henry needed a break from court life. St. James's bears a strong resemblance to Henry's favorite home, Hampton Court Palace. Henry commissioned famed artist Hans Holbein to paint the ceilings. The king's only recognized illegitimate child, Henry Fitzroy, died there from tuberculosis at the age of 17. His eldest daughter, Queen Mary I, died there as well. Elizabeth I is said to have spent the night here while waiting for the Spanish Armada to sail up the channel. King James I's son and heir, Henry, Prince of Wales, made St. James his home. He improved the gardens, added a menagerie with pet birds, including a pair of ostriches and an emu, and a riding school. The prince died there from typhoid fever at the age of 18. His younger brother later took the throne as Charles I. His two eldest sons, the future kings, Charles II and James II, were born at the palace. 
Charles I spent his final night here before being beheaded in front of Whitehall in 1649. When Oliver Cromwell took over the country as Lord Protector, he turned St. James's into a military barracks. After the restoration, Charles II restored the palace to its former glory. He laid out nearby St. James's Park at the same time. James II's daughters, the future Queen Mary II and Queen Anne, were both born at the palace. In 1698, during the joint reigns of William and Mary, Whitehall was destroyed by fire. Thus, St. James became the principal residence of the monarch in London. King George's one and two both housed their mistresses at St. James's, while their wives lived elsewhere. George III, famous for his morality and disapproval of his ancestors' licentiousness, found St. James unsuitable. He disliked the cramped and uncomfortable Tudor Palace. In 1762, George purchased Buckingham House and moved his family there. In 1809, a fire destroyed the private royal apartments at St. James's, and they were never rebuilt. In 1837, Queen Victoria officially made Buckingham Palace the primary residence of the monarch. But St. James's continues to be an administrative center of the monarchy to this day. Victoria married Prince Albert in the Chapel Royal in 1840, and her daughter, Princess Victoria, married Prince Frederick of Prussia there in 1858. Today, the royal court is still formally based at St. James's Palace, despite the monarch living elsewhere. It hosts royal receptions and houses administrative offices. It is also the London residence of Princess Anne, Princess Beatrice, and Princess Alexandra. Whenever a reigning monarch dies, the Ascension Council meets at St. James's Palace. Once their heir has made a sacred oath to the council, the Garter King of Arms steps onto the proclamation gallery to announce the new monarch. None Such Palace, 1538-1683 You may be noticing a pattern here. Henry VIII liked new palaces. He inherited great wealth from his tight-fisted father, Henry VII, and he wasn't afraid to spend it. Later in his reign, Henry turned on the Catholic Church for refusing to allow him to divorce Catherine of Aragon. He seized monasteries and religious buildings up and down the country and stole much of their wealth, enriching himself and his cronies. He poured some of these riches into more palaces. Unlike most of his other projects, Nonesuch was not adapted from an older mansion, but was newly built in Surrey, a suburb of London, near one of the king's main hunting grounds. The king did destroy a village and church to make way for this, his most elaborate palace. It was designed to rival the Chateau de Chambord, a palace belonging to Henry's nemesis, King Francis I of France. The palace was named Nunsuch, boasting that there was no such palace elsewhere in the world to equal its magnificence. 
The richly ornamented building cost 24,000 pounds, over 10 million in today's money. But the site was poorly selected as it wasn't near any bodies of water. So getting supplies there, including enough water to run a palace, was challenging. The building was incomplete when Henry VIII died in 1547. His daughter, Mary I, sold it to the Earl of Arundel, who finished it. None such came back into royal possession under James I, and he gifted it to his estranged wife, Anne of Denmark. Following the English Civil War, none such was leased to a series of parliamentary supporters. King Charles II reclaimed it and granted it to his mother, Dowager Queen Henrietta Maria, and later to his mistress, Barbara Palmer, along with the title Baroness of Nonsuch. But Barbara had a gambling problem, and she pulled down the palace and sold off the pieces to pay her debts. A few building fragments are kept in the British Museum, and the site of Nonsuch Palace is now a public park. One might wonder why so many royal palaces are concentrated in and around London, when the sovereign had a whole kingdom to maintain and enjoy. This all depended on the pattern of medieval royal progress. By the Tudor era, the court numbered around 1,500 people. Crucial counselors and administrators were needed to run the nation. But there were also noble hangers-on and an army of servants required to keep the aristocrats comfortable. During the winter months, when travel was difficult, the massive court remained near London, the political center from which it was easiest to run the entire nation. But royal palaces didn't have plumbing or sewage. The filth of so many people living in tight quarters would build up for about a month until the stench drove the court to another nearby palace. Servants would stay behind to scrub everything top to bottom. In Tudor times, there were six royal palaces near London, large enough to accommodate the entire court on a rotation from November to July. The other three months of the year, August, September, and October, when the weather was best for travel, about half the court would accompany the monarch on progress around the country. This allowed the sovereign to see and be seen by their people, and better maintain control over the vast kingdom. This itinerary had the added benefit of getting the royal family out of London during the hot months when plagues tended to flare up. But the monarch couldn't afford to maintain palaces all over the country, so the court imposed themselves as guests upon abbeys and noble households, staying up to two weeks at each place, depending on the accommodations. Hosting the monarch was an incredible honor, and many nobles bankrupted themselves, trying to impress. Nicholas Points built an entirely new wing to his palace in anticipation of Henry VIII and Anne Boleyn's visit in August of 1535. 
There are many grand historic castles and palaces up and down the British Isles, many of which were visited by kings and queens, but most of these were not actually royal residences. In the next episode, we'll explore the palaces built by the late Stuarts and Georgians, and the cozy, by royal standards, holiday homes built by Prince Albert for his beloved wife, Queen Victoria, many of which remain the homes of the modern royal family. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. I'll be putting out new podcast episodes each Thursday, revisiting and revamping my most popular YouTube videos, and adding even more fascinating information for your listening pleasure. Want some visuals with your history? Then check out my YouTube channel, also called History Tea Time with Lindsay Holiday, where you can find hundreds of videos about queens of the world, royal history, women's medical history, and more. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a historian, professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that provides a complete overview of U.S. history through storytelling, yet keeps the rigor you'd expect in a university class. Starting with 22-year-old George Washington in his first battle, join me for a chronological telling of the United States' story, its unlikely revolution, fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way through the progressive era. Find History That Doesn't Suck wherever you get your podcasts.